0: Hello, and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome Ben Steer, director of Mamoon. Hi again, everyone. Ben Mitchell here, joined by Steve Henderson. Hello, Steve. Hello, Ben. How are you? Good, good, good. Fighting fit. Ready for another episode of the Squiggly Animation Podcast? Ranked as a podcast to listen to, I caught from uh, the lovely folks at Brown Bag, yeah. Who did a little roundup of uh, all the animation podcasts we like, and we weren't dead last, no. Which is kind of a comfort because whenever a, a blog or some guy does like a list of like the best animation resources. <laughs> it's it's always nice when Squiggly are on there. And there's 35 other who gives a f websites. We sometimes get them
1: through on the website, which is really nice. Um, a list. Hey, yeah, you're part of this animation blog uh, top 100 websites. Here's a badge that I want you <laughs> to stick on your website to say that you've made it to this, you know, on this fantastic thing. And, and the badges is usually, like, the worst, like, low-poly <laughs> clip art <laughs> With, with like a, a serif font written on the, on the inside. And it's really sweet that this research has been done and that people have put this list together. If, in fact, they've put the list together, I've just clicked in animation websites in Google and then just put the, the top 100 together on a, on a list. Um, but, yeah, it's like, oh, thanks. What do you want me to do with this? Well, sometimes
0: <laughs> it's not even that sweet. Sometimes it's like, and be sure to link back to my website, yeah. Yes. Oh, I okay. get you, you, you wrote our name on a website so we could link to your website. Cheers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're such ungrateful curmudgeons, aren't we?
0: Uh, you are the Squiggly logo with the description. Squiggly, one of the best up-and-coming new tech firms from Brazil.
1: <laughs> yeah. That would explain why I've constantly been inundated with emails. And it's always been since day one. Emails, either that are CVs from people... Because they type in the word animation and squiggly animation pops up, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm always on the ready ready to send an angry uh, email back to them, just or, or just to lead them on, you know, or just do something horrible. Um, but I'm such a nice guy, Ben. I I, I can't I can't I can't lead, lead myself to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Or um, uh, hey, how can we work with your company? Because we're an animation company too. It's... We're not an animation company.
0: I write for blogs and I looked at your website and you're a perfect fit. My main specialist subjects are and grooming. Let's work (laughs) together on some article ideas. (laughs) F*** off. If you're even a human being. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we get the kitchen ones through and stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Thank you,
0: robots of the internet. We love you. (laughs) Uh, But a sincere thanks to the presumably sentient... Non-automated beings who run the show at Brown Bag, who put that list together. That was nice.
1: I have it on good authority that they're all human.
0: Superb. How is life in Festivalville? Um,
1: have you seen the beginning of Saving Private Ryan? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a bit like that. <laughs> no, it's it's going well. We're, we're very close to announcing our programme. Uh, we announced our programme, I think, on the 24th of September, so everyone will know... Uh, who's coming to the festival and uh, and what films are going to be screened there and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's getting it all together last minute and and sorting it all, sorting it all together, getting all the threads together and pulling them towards us. So uh, that's what that's what I'm up to at the moment.
0: Tremendous. Is it sort of time for anything else, or is that sort of dominating your life these days?
1: That's sort of dominating my life these days, but I've managed to. Uh, during bouts of insomnia and stuff in an effort to keep myself sane I've, I've stayed up all night watching TV shows so I've kind of caught one or two uh, episodes of a few of, of a couple of shows uh, one that I particularly love called Final Space and one which I couldn't get through the first episode of called Paradise P.I. is it P.I. or P.A. or P.D. Paradise P.D. Uh, I knew it was Letters. Uh,
0: Have you caught any of these, Ben? Laura's very um, on top of, like, new Netflix animation, so I I tend to catch bits and pieces of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us were particularly stoked on Final Space, but I think we were also kind of half-watching it. There's, you know, this inevitable comparison element of it that there are other shows that kind of have a certain vibe about them that maybe this show was trying to kind of pick up on but I also there are guys I work with uh, or a guy I work with who mentioned that he had marathoned it in a similar bout of insomnia being a new father and uh, he rather enjoyed it
1: mm. it's not bad it, it's, it's along the lines of you know Rick and Morty and Futurama so it kind of fills that little particular uh, void I mean if you can get over the, the main character's voice I think that's Very off-putting thing
0: That was weird Because it's like What is he like A teenager But he sounds like A 50-year-old man (laughs) Yeah Which was that Yeah I remember Because I remember Being sort of surprised Because hearing I heard the voices From the other room And then I'd come in And see the cartoons Oh okay That's a weird pairing Yeah That reminds me of something Actually I'll I'll get to In a minute The the old voice thing But with Netflix And stuff I, I am completely with you With Paradise PD We made it Through about Six minutes of that Yeah and maybe it kicks into gear in minute seven, but
1: I made it past minute seven, and I'm still I was still waiting. I was looking at looking at, it and I had a, I had an enormous sense of, my god, this is terrible.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm I'm actually, I'm I'm the one putting the effort in here, <laughs> and I'm the viewer. Um, and it was it's just un- oh, un- unforgivable. I'm I'm not a massive fan of it. Uh, I mean, and then I looked up, and it's it's by the guys who did Brickleberry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, has that look? Uh, yeah, uh, but it, and and the whole show, the setup of the show, it is. I, I, I hate to be cruel about you know um, shows that people work incredibly hard on, and I understand and appreciate that you know there's a lot of talented people work on the show and all that kind of stuff. But it is basically a really watered down Family Guy you know, down to the fact that it's got a talking dog, yeah. you know, it's got a, a disgruntled father and or it's, it's, it's like family guy cross with American dad cross with Brooklyn nine, nine, only not funny. You know, it's, yeah.
0: it's one of them. And we've been through this grim charade so many times at this point <laughs> between this and full English and crash Canyon all the other Seth MacFarlane shows <laughs> while we're at it. <laughs> it's that imitation of the loudness and the quick fire pacing and they did he really just say that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I think that, and the shock visuals, which uh, it, it's hard to be genuinely kind of shocking if it's animation in that format, in that kind of Brickleberry television animation format you can be shocking and provocative and controversial with many many forms of animation but the sort of the sitcom production pipeline doesn't really lend itself to that it kind of puts it on a par with something you'd have drawn in a notebook when you were 14 mm. like I look that guy just got shot in the bollocks <laughs> please will someone have sex with me <laughs> it's that general vibe yeah and i think that even family guy For my sins, I occasionally find myself coming to the defense of... It didn't use that quite so much as a crutch, at least not to begin with. It would sprinkle it in here and there, and then it would, by virtue of being used very sparingly, it would have, I think, more of an impact. And even stuff like The Simpsons could throw in something kind of dark, and that was really kind of gratifying because The Simpsons generally was a pretty sunny show. Mm -hmm. And then they'd, they'd have something kind of unexpected and i was watching a great one it's time to talk about the simpsons (laughs) we made it 10 minutes into the podcast Uh, i'll be brief but i saw the one uh only 40 minutes (laughs) where bart and lisa are like competing against each other as like hockey i saw that one as uh, well i turned on the tv at the same time it's a great, it's a great old episode, but yeah. there's something about how Homer is in that that episode that's a little darker than usual. Mm. Where it's like, "You won the big match, son. I didn't kill your turtle."
1: <laughs> I, I watched that one. I don't know how old it is, that one, but I, I genuinely, I, I remember watching it, thinking, "This is bloody good." This is I like right at the very end, and and when they kind of have that little moment,
0: yeah. I was like. That's emotional. I like that. (laughs) They had a lot of that balance going on back in the day. Yeah. You know, I think that, like, good shows that can go to very dark places know to sort of dole it out and present that element of their show at the right time. There was another show on Netflix that, it's an animated show, um, that did, I think, a slightly better job as far as that approach. It was The Bill Burr Show. Um, which it should just be called. Oh, F for family. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of liked the first year of that. I've, I've only seen a couple of episodes of the second season. But there's a point toward the end of that where it gets a bit ribald, shall we say. Hmm. Um, there's a scene with like a kid. He's hiding because I think he doesn't want his parents to know that he's home from school. And then he's hiding in like a closet and then his parents just start having sex. And so he's sort of forced to watch this from a really unforgiving angle. Uh, Or he's hiding under the bed, I think. And he sort of looks up and he gets his eye full of just awful close-up parent sex happening. And that's animated to this degree of, you know, unnecessary detail. That's sort of how this show starts. Mm. This Paradise PD show. And I think that, you know, eh. Yeah. It doesn't really have... And then I think not even that so much as then it sort of then flashes forward and you've got the very, very heavy-handed characterization of the father who's now curmudgeonly because of the circumstances and just, like, every... It's like they've taken a syringe of topical references and edgy little sarcastic remarks and just injected this character full to burst with them mm. so he can just spit them out in every minute of screen time he has. I wasn't too bold over, but quite well-rated so far, or well reviewed, just looking it up online. So maybe people are seeing things by who? Uh the the aggregated why, why? world of the internet. I'm gonna. The the lowest rating is from IGN, which is six out of ten. But the...
1: bollocks to that, Ben. I'm gonna give it five out of
0: ten. <laughs> I could go lower. Take him to task. <laughs> so I don't know. It's not doing anyone any harm. I guess. Let it be. <laughs> I saw there's a new series of Big Mouth coming out, which could be good, because the first series... It, it could be either. It could be bad or good, because the first series had this back and forth of being very good and then being a bit meh. Mm. So, you know, one hopes that a second series would kind of push it more in the direction of the very good. We shall see. I think that's later on than this month or maybe October.
1: There's a few other things that have been announced, hasn't there, for like... Uh- uh, Alex Hirsch has, has, has recently been announced as he's going to be creating some uh, some new content and uh, uh, Justin Roiland who did uh, Rick and Morty uh, is he's they've announced his new shows in pre production called Solar Opposites which is uh, I think it's about aliens or something I'm only just seeing the pictures so the you know the content's coming uh, coming but it's also going as well because obviously Adventure Time finished this week as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time for animated TV as as Netflix seems to soak everyone up.
0: Yeah, Adventure Time uh, certainly pleased a lot of people with the way it signed off. Mm-hmm. I know Laura's also quite keen on a show called Cupcake and Dino. Okay. Although I think I think maybe she just likes the theme tune. That's when I've seen little bits of it's kind of fun. Mm. It's yet to completely stick its talons in me if it ever will, but seemed to her harmless enough. It's like a kid's show, yeah. you know, but one where the people who make it are clearly having some fun.
1: Yeah, they're always the best ones, aren't they? You can tell, you know, you get a lot of compliments for from adults talking to other adults. You know, if you follow the right people on Twitter talking about how much they love Hey Dougie and adults genuinely saying, you know, this is that was a great episode of Hey Dougie and it must be great having having a kid and being able to watch tv kids tv shows without wanting to destroy your television yeah. you know because it must get pretty repetitive uh, and if the quality's there and you know it's coming across and you know the kids and the adults enjoy it then it's yeah it's the it's the golden uh, formula isn't it? it must be such blessed relief
0: because mm. you never really know it's a gamble with kids like what do you want to watch tonight please don't f-ing say Poor patrol. <laughs> <laughs> Please say Sarah and Duck. <laughs>
1: my uh, my niece, in particular. It's uh, can we watch Sophia the First? And it, it gets on your nerves. It's not. It's not made for thirty four year old blokes. <laughs> it's not <laughs> really not one of those shows for for you or me, Ben. Four year old girls bloody love it, you know. But yeah.
0: Elsewhere outside of Netflix, I'm not seeing a lot that's. Been rocking my socks, although uh, I did finally see Chuck Steele at the Fright Fest festival uh, in London a few weeks ago now. And that was good fun, as uh, I know you've seen it already, but I'm like one of the last people I know to see it. <laughs> like it's been doing uh, quite a few festivals, and I think that was its third like major one. And There's a fourth, I think, coming up mm. later this month or just after. But good to see it getting some good reviews in. I uh, will be interested to see if the reviews are similar when it gets a, a, a sort of wider release, because it plays very well to a festival crowd, as you reported in Annecy, and that was definitely, you know, it seemed like a similar vibe at the screening in London. Although we go to the cinema, it's the big Cine World in Leicester Square, okay, and they had these massive, like, super cinema screens. And there were a bunch of free seats allocated, you know, to crew. And Mike had very generously said, oh, people want to come? Come along. I'll sort you out with a ticket. So a whole bunch of us came and it was great. It was nice to catch up with some people I hadn't seen in uh, pretty much exactly a year. Because that was when I, uh, I wrapped up on it. Uh, and then some people I've, I've sort of stayed in touch with. But we get in anyway and we're, we're in the front row. Well, that's alright. I mean, usually you don't sit in the front row at the cinema, but, you know, for a film like this, being in the front certainly wouldn't hurt. Except, the screen in this cinema is so big, right. it's f-ing ludicrous. Like, you look up and, like, your range of vision doesn't cover the whole screen. You can't even get all the screen from moving your eyes. You have to physically move your shoulders and your head, like, to sort of, like, look up and down and around... And also, you're looking at it basically like you're looking up a mountain. So it's this vertical, like, incline with your head tilted back as far as it will go in the seat. So everything is, like, really squished looking. Okay, well, this will be an experience. And so we get, I think, about 30 seconds into the first trailer, which is a trailer for, like, an old movie that was, um, like, they were playing a remastered screening of it, I think, at the festival. And just the jump cuts in the trailer, it wasn't an explosive, crazy trailer, just like the image changing at that scale was too much. Like we all started to feel like nauseous. Right. So we fled the front row. Like the first cinema goers fled the cinema when they saw that train coming toward them <laughs> yeah. and uh, went on the hunt. And then fortunately I think there were enough empty seats dotted about because it was a huge room. Uh, there were enough empty seats dotted about that we could kind of squeeze in. It was a sold-out screening, but I guess technically there's always some held over for, like, pass holders. Mm-hmm. So I was, I think, about ten rows behind, and that was still really f-ing close. So I want to see it again, because, honestly, it's... You want to see it? Well, yeah, it's it's it was kind of overwhelming. And yeah. I do bits in the film that are kind of scattered throughout the first... Um, the first chunk of it, the first hour and a bit, but there's a big concentrated section of about two minutes where I worked on pretty much every shot and that would have been great to see. I could tell it would have been because, of, but I was seeing like a third of it, you know, cause there was no way to kind of take in the whole image. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, does it go by in a blink? I'm sure people who are listening to this, who have worked on features will be all too familiar yeah. with this the hours and hours and the back and forth and the meetings of like should this line be squiggly or wiggly
1: yeah
0: uh, <laughs> and you go by and at one point i got like there was a woman sat next to me um i think she was another blogger maybe she was on her own and she would keep like looking at her phone to make like notes i guess for a review later and she'd always sort of like look at her phone when like one of my bits was coming up and like hey worked for hours on this two and a half seconds of sparks yeah but two hours a day on the train mate i mean come on (laughs) it was great it was great it was a great end result you know no matter i think what anyone thinks of the subject matter and we've talked a little bit about how there are elements of it that are harder to read uh as far as their you know intent yeah But Mike's a pretty genuine guy, and I think that certainly it does help knowing Mike, knowing where the sort of line is between this character being such a willfully arrogant blowhard and this character being sympathetic and sort of secretly right about everything. I think Mm. going into it, most people just kind of get it. There's a sort of intuitive thing. There was one thing, interestingly, this woman who was sat next to me kind of like went ugh at like one particular line. And that was interesting to me because I basically the joke is he's hitting on a woman in a hospital and she's giving him. That, that's a great joke. Yeah. She's so giving him the runaround. around, like oh, I'm washing my hair. And she comes up with all these ridiculous excuses. And he's like, you trying to tell me something Then a loud noise from a room down the hall. And he's like, stay here, lesbian. And runs yeah. off to. Yeah, yeah. And that, that kind of got a little like grunt of dissatisfaction from the person sat next to me. Like the the joke is that he's an idiot, and anyway, yeah.
1: if I put that in the review, in in my review, I point, I think I pointed that out as uh, that it's just like from the pages of Viz, right? It, it's such a kind of the joke is on him, yeah. It's Sid the sexist. That's what it is, and, and like you say, knowing Mike, Mike absolutely loves Viz. You know, um, I think there's, there's there's utterances of stuff like rats and stuff like that that's straight from the pages of Viz. You know.
0: There were like stacks of his in the break room. All oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so that, um, yeah, that makes sense.
1: But yeah, that, that, that's that's not too bad. It says it's, it's it gets towards the end. I think for my, for personally, and I think I've said this before, that it gets maybe a little bit carried away with itself, um, and that some of those jokes might be worth a tut. But on the whole, you know, it, it, it's blimey, what an achievement! You know, regardless how however far away from the cinema screen you are, the thing is just just a gorgeous thing to behold. Yeah. You know, in terms of animation, it's such an achievement.
0: Absolutely. The thing that struck me as, as interesting going back to the, the earlier thing I said, one of the characters has been revoiced by Jennifer Saunders, the version of the film we were working on. I don't think it was intended as a placeholder voice to begin with, or maybe it was, but all the animation and lip sync was done to this other actor Mm. uh, who was, I thought perfectly fine in the role. But I adore Jennifer Saunders, so I'm not going to be like, how dare they? Because it's it's pretty cool to say that she's in a film I worked on. But it is interesting how the character is, I think, meant to be a woman in her 30s or late 20s. And it is a little odd because Jennifer Saunders clearly, vocally, clearly isn't. Yeah. Like, she still has a youthful voice, but there is that little bit of, like... Old mum? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. That was something that struck me. Yeah. Watching it again. And I was also confused. I don't know why I had assumed this. I think because I knew Jennifer Saunders was revoicing one specific main character, Uh, I had just thought that Paul Whitehouse would be doing the same. And so I'm watching this film because when's Paul Whitehouse going to show up? Because I knew he was in it. And then it turned out he did like a bunch of the smaller characters, which was fine. Yeah. But there was more of a kind of interchangeable thing with his contribution he did a perfectly good job he actually he improved a lot on I think the character who has the most dialogue who um is I guess Chuck's love rival yeah yeah in the in progress version of the film those lines were were well it just was better I thought with Paul Whitehouse doing those lines
1: yeah Paul Whitehouse is one of the one of the finest comic talents uh particularly through acting in uh, in the UK, he's absolutely fantastic in anything that he does. You know, mm-hmm. being a mimic and putting a lot of you know umph into the characters.
0: Even in the far show, though, there were these moments of really beautiful performance, like non-comedic. Uh, well, not non-comedic, but um, just you know, just very different from the kind of quick-fire, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Ted and Ralph is probably the most obvious. Example, But the, the beautiful character he did of the drunk guy who would just babble nonsense. Yeah. And then he'd say at the end of every skit, I was very, very drunk. Yeah. But one of the best ones of those is one where he's telling a sad story and you can't hear what he's saying because he's babbling nonsense. But he's just delivering it with this earnestness. Mm. And then he just kind of looks into middle distance at the end of the story and he goes, and I'm afraid I was very drunk. <laughs> And, like, crickets. Like, there's no laughter or anything. Like, he said the catchphrase. It's just, like... Yeah. And then the audience just breaks out into applause. Like, it was it was a pretty remarkable thing to do for a, a sketch show, mm. I thought. Anyway, so, Paul Whitehouse, on initial uh, impression, perhaps a little underused in Chuck, but what little there is of him, I thought was very good. So, it's nice to have my name on the same IMDB listing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Although you have to open the tab,
0: yeah, yeah, and scroll oh, yeah. down. I'm not in the I'm not the, <laughs> the first page. No, 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 no. I'm on IMDb like seven times now, Yeah. and I don't know how to I don't know how to join all the different Ben Mitchells. So I have to work out a way to consolidate all the different Ben Mitchells and say no, the Ben Mitchell who worked on this is also the same. And then I'm like, actually, no one gives a sh*t, and I don't really give a sh*t either. So I'm not going to do it. And then I forget <laughs> until I I remember. Like with so many. Are you the, the, the New
1: Zealand actor who played an orc Nazgul in The Hobbit: The Desolation of Smoke? That's the Are one. Are you the composer of Houseguest?
0: One of the two. Yeah. Some of my finest work. Cool. Playing that orc. <laughs> so yeah, Chuck Steele, uh, continuing to do the rounds at festivals, and uh, very happy to report it. it was very enjoyable. Congratulations again to Mike. And all my buddies and the team and Chris, my supervisor, and uh, we all pulled together in the end. (laughs) Team effort. Maybe worth a mention that this Annie Jam thing is uh, online now.
1: Yeah, that's quite a a big step up. I mean, um, since 2012, Encounters and Wonky Films have been doing Annie Jams, so like 48 hours to make an animated film, which in itself is absolutely mental. Um, but it's gone national this year for part of Anime 18, and uh, the the fruits of their labours have, uh, have finally made their way online, which is great. So you can go online there and and vote for for your favourite. Have you uh, have you had a look at
0: them then? Yeah, I've watched them all quite a bit. I think that it is interesting. I mean, they're they're all impressive in terms of the turnaround time. Yeah, you know, you've you've got to hand that to them, and some. Really very impressive. What's interesting is sort of seeing how they're performing now that they're online. Does anyone in particular get your vote? Um, the one with all the
1: votes. <laughs> um, what, I, what, what struck me is, is the amount of variety, given that, it, I mean, it's a very simple brief, uh, and I know that each uh, particular place, I think, took part in uh, Belfast, Bristol, Cardiff, uh, Glasgow, London, Leicester, Manchester, and York, and... Um, well-rehearsed of me there. Um, and they all had the same brief as Together. So Together was the brief, but then there was an, another brief that each individual place had to have as well. Um, so Manchester, it was stick something vaguely Manchester in there. Uh, and you can see in some of the Manchester films, people have used bees and Manchester landmarks and other bits and bobs. Uh, so you get this incredible variety of films, an incredible variety of styles, uh, obviously we have only got two days to do the films. It's great. I think, it, you know, it's a fantastic exercise. Wish I had the time to get involved, really.
0: Yeah, in another life, maybe. Mm. It does, I mean, it's something that I think that uh, a lot of people talk about getting involved in, and then when it comes down to it, like, yeah. So it's great that there's been such a good turnout. Yeah. You know? I see Nick and Sam have done another one. They've been doing it, I think, a few years in a row. And uh, they always turn over like really good quality work. Mm-hmm. They should have won earlier editions, to be perfectly honest. Definitely a specific style they have. Yes. I don't really know either of them, uh, personally. But just entertaining. Their film was called Moi. Some other ones I enjoyed. Oh, there was a kind of David O'Reilly-ish one. Not in terms of tone or story, but in terms of that kind of low poly vibe called Together. That was a film from Leicester. Mm-hmm. Actually, most of the films are called Together. That was the theme. Uh, <laughs> That's by like Tender Morsels, isn't yes. it? <laughs> Thank you for helping with the uh, narrowing it's down.
1: Quite, it's quite all right.
0: And I enjoyed quite a few of them, actually. I thought that, like you say, nice sort of mix of styles. Uh, there were a couple that were definitely not my cup of tea. Yeah. Nothing would be achieved by singling them out, to be honest. So, um, uh, you know, I think uh, one man's trash is another man's fun animation film.
1: <laughs> my favourite phrase. People can get themselves down to the websites, uk, And if you click on Latest Jam, you'll find a, a treasure trove of uh, one-and-a-half-minute wonders and they can vote for their favourite. there you go.
0: And you can see them on the big screen, should you be so inclined, at a bunch of uh, events starting this month. Actually, it would have just started last weekend, but uh, later on in September, it's playing at the Glasgow Film Theatre, at the Encounters Festival, the World of Film Festival, I actually don't know where that is, and the screenings in October, and as you mentioned, in November, it'll be at Manchester. So, Well done, everyone. Good luck to all. A pretty exciting online launch uh, this week from our pals at Blue Zoo, who always do pretty smashing little short films. They've been on something of a roll, I dare say. Last year, we had Izzy Burton's film, Via, which was uh, quite tremendous. A lovely piece of work. Around that sort of time, a little film they made called Mamoon was doing the rounds at festivals, I don't think it was, like, this massive festival run. I think they they did a bunch of, like, majors. um, And I actually first saw it when I was part of the British Animation Awards. And it picked up a couple of things, I think, there, if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Um, It definitely picked up the craft prize, which was what I was um, on the panel for. It's definitely. I'm sure it's, it's. It had won a bunch of awards before that, mm. um, and I think it screened at Manchester last year, didn't it? It did indeed. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. Uh, it's done very well. It, I mean,
1: almost straight out off off the bat, it started winning prizes, and which is quite unusual for most animated short films, really. You know, it, yeah. it had that instant, you know, wow factor for. For people and it and it you know it got it got BAFTA nominated as well. Let's not forget you know so it's done incredibly well.
0: That's now, right, yeah.
1: And mo- most films actually, the when they make their way to animation festivals, is you know they might take plenty of uh, well, take plenty of rejections before it gets in festivals, and then it might take a few festivals before it wins an award or any and and before you get the kind of uh, snowball effect on the uh, on on the prize winning. But this film just kind of sort of walked straight through the doors of the first festival and went right where's my seat you know yeah. <laughs> and uh, and if you see the film it's it's absolutely gorgeous and it's it's quite unique in its style and its look and it's no kind of it's no wonder why really
0: the on paper description well it's about the uh, refugee crisis essentially but there's something about that subject that has this sort of criticism proof quality about it It's certainly a very topical issue, but also it's an issue that is sort of the victim of an awful lot of short filmmaking and maybe some short filmmaking that isn't top-notch. Sometimes you get people, you can tell with filmmakers, that uh, picking a subject, it's to kind of compensate for their lack of filmmaking ability. So let's make this a film about an issue or an illness or... Uh, social concern, and they slap together this maudlin or disingenuous nonsense. And as a festival curator of d- d- yourself, I'm sure you've seen countless films that fall into that category. The Sad piano, Ben. Oh, yes. Plinkly piano.
1: Plinkly, plonkly piano. No, thanks. With
0: no interpolation. So it sounds like you're being jackhammered in your ear. <laughs> so what a tremendous relief and really you wouldn't have expected less from blue zoo with their track record but what a relief that not only is it capable filmmaking it's really ingenious filmmaking Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's overstating like it's simple elements assembled in such a wonderfully effective way
1: yeah it it works it works because of that there's no need for it to be a big, uh, it, it, it preys on very basic emotions and very basic. There's very basic visual information in it, but it's put together in such a eloquent way that it's it's superb.
0: I mean, whatever it would have been about, the execution is tremendously appealing. Mm-hmm. To sort of break it down, and you know, obviously, I, I encourage everyone to watch the film. Uh, I assume you probably already have done so, or plan to, uh, if you're listening to this. But it's a physical set that I guess is, is it styrofoam or some kind or a of styrene okay. very minimal cityscape type environment? Kind of cubist, but blank, no details, no facades, just kind of cubes and cuboids, empty space, um, steps, this very unaffected environment. And the characters aren't stop motion or puppets or it's they're essentially projections, of pre-rendered I, I think it's CG animation, yeah, rendered in a kind of shaded 2D quality. So it's you're looking at flat colours in the animation. So one character is a sort of uh, is just white, and the other is a sort of vibrant red. The white and the red sort of playing off this kind of aqua, teal. Look of the set is such a lovely little color scheme, and uh, the thing that really, really struck me—and hopefully um, uh, this is something that me and Wes will go into at some point down the line—the music was like easily, you know, I enjoyed it as much as the visuals. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just a lovely piece. Sometimes, I mean, it—it it doesn't sort of say anything that you don't kind of intuitively know from reading, you know, impartial news reports or just from being a human being with common sense mm-hmm. and empathy. I don't think it's, like, this, this eye-opening, like, oh, my God, this changes the way I think about the refugee crisis. It, but it doesn't need to, because the the situation, there's enough kind of there already. Yeah. It's just taking it on in a way that I think it's, it's just sort of important, I think, as a reminder of... Um, all the wonderful ways we can blunder as a species. Yes,
1: yeah, yes. I mean, at its heart, as well, it, um, and I believe Ben goes in uh, about this uh, in the interview. It's a it's a story about separation. Mm. It, it's it, at its heart. That's that's what it is. It's just that the that separation is one of many horrific uh, symptoms of, uh, of of the way that we mistreat one another on this planet. You know.
0: And certainly, a, a very you know, in the intervening uh, months since it was released initially, that theme has become especially appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. I mean, it's and it's amazing. This comes from the same studio that brought us all those you know naked elves. <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: never thought about it like that. Yeah.
0: But uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's not like that. It's a surprise that they have uh, a range of ability and artistic uh, capacity. But I guess it was kind of nice to see because I do remember. I think they showed a little snippet of the pre-visuals at Annecy a couple years ago, Mm. and out of context, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. It looked pretty, but. There was almost like, I, I I wonder, is this like a kind of reaction to... Because they had made, I think, th- two or three films in a row that were very comedic. Mm-hmm. And I did wonder a bit if maybe they were just sort of doing something new for the sake of it. But no, clearly they were doing something new because there was sincerity mm-hmm. behind it. There are some studios that will knock out, you know, some internally produced content. Like, just because? Because other studios are doing it? Or because... They feel like they should, and I think you really do need to have that strength of concept yeah. before you commit to something like that because it's a lot of man hours and it's a lot of time and energy.
1: It's great to see a studio put this together as well, isn't it? You know, the fact that um, mm. Blue Zoo actually let their animators make a short film, and yet it pays dividends for a studio like Blue Zoo because that film is now on their CV, and as a commercial studio... This is just another feather in our cap of the type of thing we can do. So it makes perfect sense for studios to allow their uh, directors a chance to uh, flex their artistic muscles and, uh, you know, for the benefit of the studio and for the, you know, benefit of uh, pure creative endeavor, you know.
0: I think Oddman kind of used to do something similar. I kind of feel like we talked about this a bit at Christmas because we talked with, um, was it Tom around Christmas time? It was indeed, yeah. Yeah. So I think we were kind of talking about like how they kind of internally approach shorts development. And I think employees can actually pitch yeah. their own ideas. And so I think that opens the door for a lot of diversity in, in style and uh, tone and that kind of thing. And I remember Admin kind of tried to keep something like that going a little while ago. I'm not sure if they still do.
1: Ad Boiled as well was one of the. Uh attempts there from album wasn't it
0: yeah, yeah that was more kind of an outsourcing thing yeah they had some stuff i think that terry brain's son was doing these kind of concepts that terry brain had come up with but never actually done mm-hmm. and so his son david i think um was working on those They're lovely little stop motion mini shorts that are very kind of trapdoor-esque uh i suppose uh, my VFX supervisor on Chuck, I think, uh, worked on the compositing on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weirdly Rhymes, I think they were called. And I think those were actually produced at Ardman, but I might be wrong. And maybe they were just using the space. But Ardman certainly put them on the Oddboiled channel. And then I, a few people uh, I know have worked with uh, boiled like Rumpus, were doing a couple of things. Initially, it was called Mash, mm. And the guy who was running it wanted to put Clemen throw in and for what it is now, what it, what it became, I don't think that would have really been a fit, but ultimately I don't know if he'd actually watched the film. I think someone had just recommended it to him. Right. I guess with, with our boiled, it's more of a kind of micro short scheme. So if you have these ideas for like, you know, really quick fire in and out, I guess you just got to evolve with the times or you work out what's going to hit, you know, you think of how like random acts has changed so much over the years. And how initially when Random Acts came about, what a sort of departure that was from how Channel 4 had approached their shorts funding. Yeah, it's always just ever shifting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're a company like Blue Zoo who are doing, you know, I would say pretty good business. They've been responsible for a lot of uh, positive developments in the UK animation industry, uh, financial wise and partnership wise and that kind of thing. It's good that your eye isn't just on this make-as-much-money-as-we-can prize. It's let's make some good art along with it. Yeah. I imagine that's a very rewarding thing for the employees Speaking of which, I guess uh, we're talking to Ben Steer, or rather you are.
1: We are indeed, yeah. So
0: he's not one of the... Owners, I guess, of Blue Zoo, but he is, I guess, head of animation or the, one of the head animators.
1: Yeah, he's he's an animator who works at Blue Zoo. That's that's the right. the deal with these shorts is that uh, anyone in the studio can pitch uh, an idea. Uh, so they can. It doesn't matter how long you've been there, what job role you've got there. You know, you could be a runner, you could be a you know a co-founder or whatever. You could you can pitch an idea for a short, uh, and they have like the old-fashioned. Um, we used to have a, a, a gong show at Disney when people would come in and give their ideas, and they didn't like it, they'd bang on a gong and tell them to get stuffed. I think it's a lot nicer <laughs> than that at, uh, at Blue Zoo. But um, yeah, so um, Ben is is an animator who works at Blue Zoo and and uh, was given the uh, you know the opportunity to, to to work on this film. A brief is handed out to all the uh, all the people who work at Blue Zoo, and Mamoon is his response, and he's not like a He's not one of the co-founders of Blue Zoo. He's, uh, you know, a guy who works there. And I think that's another, you know, great thing about this particular project that the company's got going on is that they don't rely on a certain pool of talent. Yeah. Yeah, which can sometimes be milk dry.
0: Ben had done another film with them before, hadn't he?
1: Um... Or was that
0: one of the Christmas cards?
1: Yeah, I think he would have worked on one of... He, he's, he, you know, the thing is, they get, they get everyone involved in these things. Uh, he's worked on uh, a few bits and bobs. Uh, he worked on the, the, the Blue Zoo Christmas card, um, the one with the, the, uh, the Santa Claus, but not the, the one with the elves. I don't know how best to describe it. Um,
0: Less of a kind of uh, goofy vibe. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was more sort of somber, I guess. Yeah, but not super serious either. Anyway, it's all online. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look up Blue Zoo Christmas, just sit back and treat yourself. Yeah, whatever you find, there'll be a playlist (laughs) of great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh. Uh,
1: uh, that's a, certainly a thing that people should do. But yeah, he's um, he's been working at uh, at Blue He got into animation late, as he says in the in, in the interview. I've just ruined it for everyone. Um, but uh, I think his story will uh, will ring true with plenty of people who might have recently graduated from university or who graduated a few years ago but are still madly into animation or are having a little bit of difficulty in finding their place in industry. I think Ben's a good, uh, a, a very good. Um, uh, benchmark for people. Mm-hmm. And a very good cheerleader for those in that situation. So, yeah.
0: So, after that bigging up, I expect people are, are rather eager to hear from him.
1: This interview will change their lives, Ben.
0: So, shall we uh, hand it over to Ben Steer of Blue Zoo?
1: Ben Steer, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today. I thought it would be nice to uh, maybe introduce yourself to the Squiggly audience and let us know a little bit about your career up to joining Blue Zoo.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. Basically, I studied at Bournemouth University. I did the NCCA. Um, I think it's still called that. Um, and after that, that was back in. That was I graduated back in two thousand. And then I had a kind of a few <laughs> the dark ages, the dark years of my life in my twenties, where I spent a lot of time doing a little bit of freelance, sort of generalist work. I did a lot of visualisations for architects because my dad's an architect. And I was kind of finding my way and to cut a long story short, I ended up joining a band full time and I, it was there. I learned some, that's where I think I really sort of got the kick up the arse I needed. I was surrounded by these amazing musicians and I realized just how dedicated they were to their art. And I and I, I kind of, I, I think I missed animation. I really sort of felt like th- there was a reason I'd studied it in the first place. And I think I just lost that passion a little bit because I found university very difficult because it was based largely around the technical side of, of animation, and I'm I'm not very technically gifted. Um, so I think, especially given that we had we had to spend the first two years of university largely programming, um, and I when, it wasn't so much programming as the software we were using was basically coded. Everything you wanted to do, if you wanted to create a sphere and move a sphere, you had to type lines of code. And I think it just kind of w- wore me down to a degree. Um, anyway, so having joined this band, seen this kind of passion everyone had, and realised actually I really needed to get on with my own life, I, I um, applied to Blue Zoo, where I already had really good contacts because my friends were working there, and I'd already worked for them freelance off and on, so I, I already I developed a good working relationship with them. So when I applied for a job there, they kind of um, they, they got me in basically, and I think I've been. That was about 2010-2011, 2011 I've been there ever since basically Um, apart from a a short stint which we'll talk about later Hmm. but yeah that was the story leading up to to then so I didn't actually get into the industry full time until my 30s which is you know practically everyone I work with now they all went straight out of university so I seem to be an anomaly on that thing.
1: There's a a lot of pressure for graduates isn't there to to go and seize uh, these companies and yeah become a, a a fantastic animator straight away but i i often find that that pressure does cause a lot of people to drop out of industry or to to not yeah. find the right path yeah i
2: think so i think it's um what it's certainly something i had i think and and i i've seen it as well on a lot of students because i've been to a couple of unis since uh, in the last few years and just given talks to students and spoken with them and looked at their work and the one thing that I think is that prevails throughout all the all the students in our industry, and probably a lot of creative industries, is just self-doubt. Mm. A lot of them really struggle with self-doubt, and it means that they are they don't think. And I had the same thing. I had exactly the same. I, what, I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing, so therefore I didn't feel like there's any point in me applying anywhere because I, I don't know what I'm doing. And they'll find that out, and you know, I just I'd be an imposter. But you you, you learn you learn that that's it's the same for so many people and you only will learn if you do it so you just have to sort of jump in the deep end and you'll find that generally you won't get a job unless they know you know you can do it so it's always worth trying you just have to kind of like I said just jump in the deep end I know I didn't (laughs) but you should but the thing is as well is BlueZoo is very aware of the fact that um there is a short short supply of um good graduates well or just graduates in general in our industry that are able to come and work for us so we're always looking out for, for graduates and we're always trying to get people in and internships and we're always checking graduation wheels and stuff and so people really do need to just apply whether or not they think they're good enough or not you know, that would be my advice ignore that voice in your
1: head saying you you shouldn't do it yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um we all have to, so what? Yeah, well, imposter syndrome—it's—it's it's quite, a, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a killer, a killer among creatives. Um, so you you started work at, at Blue Zoo, and what was the what's the day to day on Blue Zoo? Is it series work, commercial work?
2: Um, so when I started there, I I was doing children's TV series. Uh, there's a department there called the production, well, it's just called productions, and we have at the moment, I think there are two. Uh, children's TV series being made. There's Number Blocks and uh, Digby Dragon. We're just about to kick off with another season of Go Jetters as well. And that's where I worked. And that teaches you pretty fast. You, you have to learn pretty fast just how, how to animate efficiently. And I did that for years, um, sort of worked up the ranks, did a bit of animation directing after becoming a lead. Um, when you're just animating every day, you know, it starts to become a language. And I think after after about the fourth year, it really something just clicked i think it was fourth year but i I kind of feel now now like i can animate (laughs) confidently i know i can go into a scene and go i will animate this for you and you won't be (laughs) you won't be disappointed um and then uh what happened after that was very recently um i well in the last year or two i've started working more with the the other department which is called the services department and they do much more short-form projects whereby you may have or three weeks to output an advert or a promotional video um so the turnaround is a lot faster and you have to have generally more generalist skills so you have to be able to animate but then you also need to sort of do a little bit of modeling and a little bit of not necessarily rigging but you have to know your cameras and your editing and things like that because uh yeah it's it's a far more varied job but it comes with different pressures um and that's currently what i'm doing at the moment which i'm really enjoying i'm just right well, just today, I'm doing a, a candy commercial for American children, which um, uh, I think, I think that's, that's sweet. I'm not going to name them, but I think they're illegal in England. <laughs> so, uh, but it's really fun. Um, it's, it's it's a constant battle with the client, though, in terms of like what looks good on screen or works creatively and flows really well and all the lessons I've learned over the years of Story pacing timing and everything like this, and then ultimately trying to sell a product. Mm. So you're always finding this battle and trying to find ways to negotiate. You know, how can we make this good at the same time as selling your product, which a really valuable lesson as well. I
1: think. Yeah, a bit more like a contact sport. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah quite. Yes,
2: yeah, give and take kind of
1: thing. Fantastic. I mean, one of the one of the things that I've I've often admired about Blue Zoo is is that kind of community that they've got going on in that studio, and one of the things that. Uh, encapsulates that, I suppose, is the shorts program. uh yeah. that, that's, that's where your film *Ma Moon* came from, but it's where other films uh, that the studio is is quite well known for uh, came from. Can you tell us a little bit about what gave you the impetus to uh, to pitch a project at the pitching session? Yes, yeah, so uh, the. We've had several briefs now, and the, the
2: way it works is, like, once or twice a year, the company will actually put a brief forward to all the employees and invite anyone who feels like it to pitch an idea that will fit that brief. It uh, generally involves going on to make a short film. Um, I've, I've I pitched, I think, before this short film brief. I think I pitched three times and won once. So I, was, I feel like I was getting better at pitching. And the brief on this one was... Um, Something along the lines of you had to make an emotional tale uh, that involved the, the use of projecting light, which was then going to be filmed with live action. And I was really, really drawn to that brief. It, 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 it sort of created, it sort of posed such a challenge um, because I knew that if I was going to use that medium, I had to come up with a way that it was integrated fully into the story. So I just sat thinking for months. We had quite a lot of months. We had, we had a, a significant amount of time to kind of prepare So I remember going on holiday to Paris and sort of wandering around, thinking about it the whole time, sort of mulling it over. And um, yeah, basically, I sort of turned to current affairs at the time as a source of inspiration. And it was around the time when we had this awful Syrian refugee crisis, uh, whereby um, the media in England had kind of seemed to turn against the refugees and then a sequence of events on unfold where then they changed tack and then seemed to then sympathize it was all very strange and it was all i found it quite um bizarre and, and worrying and it was playing on my mind as well so the whole time i was trying to think of how do you integrate how do you create a story using light at the same time i had these other issues going on my mind as well so i so i kind of looked for a way to kind of combine the two um and yeah, and then basically you have to get up, it's quite nerve-wracking, you have to get up in front of the entire company and sort of just say, look, this is what I've come up with. And then, then it's up to the company to vote and then we do a whole online voting session. And you know? if, if you come out as the favourite, then you go on to direct a short film. It kind of has to slot in with other projects that are going on, because obviously we still need to, you know, bring in money to the company. Yeah. So it wasn't, it actually took quite a long time to get going afterwards. And that was actually godsend because the idea I'd, proposed was while it kind of came across as a finished product I think there was still a lot of holes in what in the idea so I I had the luxury of having a lot of time while I was just working on other projects just getting on with my my day job I had a lot of time just to kind of like um just kind of do a lot of problem solving and and to refine it and I think without that time it would have been a very different film and I'm really grateful for that but yeah you're right it it meant that we had to wait for a convenient slot where the projects that were going on in the company allowed for a few of
1: us to kind of take time away and actually dedicate to the short film. Hmm. Uh, so when did uh, when did the polystyrene come into it?
2: So polystyrene. Um, the the original pitch. I mean, because we we've actually at the same time, uh, we, I think we're releasing a um, a making of video. And you you'll see in there some of the, the stills I used for the original pitch and I basically just took photographs and sketched over them with a, with a view to project images, um, animated images onto walls or you know gutters or just these kind of dilapidated like structures in order to create a kind of a canvas. But actually as time went on, I realized that it was just going to become logistically, extremely difficult to, to, to find a filming location get it all filmed within a certain amount of time um, and it was actually Phil who animated on it who suggested well why don't I 3D print if I, I suggest something about using miniature sets and he said well, why don't you just 3D print one um, and I started my, got my mind going and I started sort of considering just building the sets thinking well 3D printing is good for detail I don't really need detail I need flat surfaces so, I started looking at wood, and uh, that sort of was heavy and cumbersome. I don't have any woodworking tools, I just live in a flat in Stratford. Uh, and then I started just projecting onto different materials and found that polystyrene had this really lovely effect when you blasted it with light, and especially if the camera was close up, because it's full of these tiny little holes and pores. The light sort of bounces around and has this um, sort of magical halo effect. Um, and and it solves so many problems because it's cheap, it's easily easy to manipulate, and as you'll see, and hopefully if you watch the making of, you'll see as well some of the um, the images from a couple of there's an architect uh, and a stage designer who who sort of specialised in these making these very minimalist white cuboid sets or bi- uh, structures, and I, I sort of basically ripped all that off, <laughs> knowing full well that I could make a modular set, which given that I couldn't. You know, I'm not a set builder. I'm not a modeler. I, I couldn't do any of this stuff. Was, I can place cubes, so as long as I could kind of just make the whole thing out of cubes, I was solving loads of problems at the same time. But it all it all came down to this central core idea that I wanted to like limit the amount of information that the viewer had, so that it was always abstracted. Um, because I I think, and I think I've always been inspired by this one blog post. Um, where I've never found it since but some an animator or some a, a VFX guy wrote a blog post once about the genie in Aladdin in the original Disney's Aladdin where he's just a blue form and you You use your imagination. You 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 look at the way he moves, and you look at the way he's drawn, and you you put you know it's the two plus two equals five in your brain. You go, oh, he's he's muscular, he's bulky and muscular. Whereas you look at the Smurfs in the Smurf movies, the latest CG ones, and you can see every individual hair, and and it leaves no, it leaves no room for the imagination. And in a way, it doesn't engage you as much because you're not actually using your brain when you look at an image like that. So I've kind of always moved forward with that kind of. I've, I've heard other people mention it, and there are various forms of that kind of analogy. But that was something I was I was very conscious of as I was moving forward.
1: And, and obviously it informed the, the stylistic choice as well. I mean, it projecting yes. onto uh, the, the, the polystyrene, did that inform
2: the way that your characters were designed in terms yes. of the um, detail? Yes, yeah, so... I did, I did some early tests with um, my friend Joe. He's a, he's a really good designer at uh, Blue Zoo and he directs as well, but he helped me just sort of mock up some early designs for the central characters. And the thing we found very early on is when you project um, images onto a wall that's not completely flat, like polystyrene or bricks, you lose a lot of the detail. So instantly, like by necessity, we had to simplify the character design. And then also in order to kind of to unify the design with the environment as well, it had to be simplistic as well. So it it was always the plan, you know, to keep it very simple. And like I said, my, my, um, another kind of, uh, what's the word? Another attitude I adopted, like throughout was to, to take everything away and only put back in what was absolutely needed and sort of say, because I had so many ideas about what you could do with a projector and how you could reflect light. But, I, just, I got rid of most of them, and I thought, sort of, well, I can always do this with another project. But I, I, there's that old um, saying, kill your darlings when it comes to writing, which is it doesn't matter how, how um, attached you are to an idea. If it's not right, you just have to get rid of it, and I, I did that so often. And so I just tried to boil everything right down, even with the character design, to, to what was absolutely needed. At one point, they didn't even have faces, but Tom Box, uh, who was the producer on the project, was quite rightly rather concerned that they wouldn't be able to emote very well and I think it was, it was very cool. I think I really, really struggled with some of those those scenes if I just had a, a circle looking at another circle. I think I would have been asking too much of the audience. It is
1: a very emotional film given its subject matter. I mean, how involved did you actually get with the, the subject matter itself? Did you find yourself... Doing additional research or uh, working with groups or any of that kind of thing? Um,
2: no, I didn't. I, I I wanted to basically make a universal story that you would see in ten years' time and, and not have to know anything about the current events of you know when it was made or anything like that. So I, it wasn't that I made a conscious decision to not research. I just uh, I would I was reading about it all the time in the newspapers about the the, the subjects that we said sort of, um, inspired it, but yeah it it, it had to kind of have a timelessness about it so the idea is just it's about generic loss and separation um and i think i've had people ask me if if the story was inspired by a a particular story and it's not it's it was just it the story actually evolved throughout there were there were times where it involved um lots of eyes and (laughs) there was there was uh, lots of, there were other characters and things like this and like I said, I just kept stripping it back and back and back and, and I really wanted to make sure that the story and the, the medium evolved together so that it didn't ever feel like I was compromising one for the other it would always be that they were working in complete synergy yeah. and I think for that reason the story had to be sort of malleable it couldn't really be based on anything particular
1: One of the other striking things about the film uh, is the music
2: Yeah yeah, that was by um, zelig Sound, who are uh, a company that we worked with at BlueZoo a few times. They've done a few adverts with us. Um, uh, Matt Wilcock was the guy who actually composed it, and uh, as I was drawing up the animatic, um, which is you know when you just make a you you put your storyboards into Premiere into an editing software and actually start timing everything out um as i'm drawing especially when i'm drawing the boards i'll always have listened to a- to music that i know will-, will fit the mood of what i'm doing it kind of ob- i know that other animators i work with do the same thing if you're animating a certain type of shot and you want it to be brilliant <laughs> you- like my friend always listens to pixar soundtracks so that you know he animates a bit more like pixar but yeah. um i was listening to steve reich album called uh, the desert music it's called i think and it's just very repetitive very simplistic and it's called cool. it's a genre called minimal music and it seemed to really help because it reflects very for me at least it reflects very clearly the environment in which this story is based which is a, a modular simplistic repeating pattern which is exactly what the music is so when I went to Zulig um, I had no idea what if they knew what you know if they knew who Steve Reich was or and also Philip Glass as well who I think a few people will know. But as soon as I got there and sort of started talking about it, it turned out Matt had not only not only did he know these people, he'd seen them play live, so he knew exactly what he was talking about. And within a week, he sent me two tracks. One of which sounded really promising, but wasn't quite right. And then this, the other one, which worked straight off the bat. It took. You know, he did one other session to try and get it working with my edit. And then I edited a little bit more to get it working back with his music. So there was a little bit of back and forth. But yeah, he, it took absolutely, I think because it's, it's never really worked out this way so easily for me before. But I think because it was a clear idea communicated to someone who also just got it straight away. It, it just happened so easily. And it was one of the only parts of the project that did happen very easily. Um, because the rest of it was was a huge struggle basically <laughs> but we'll get to that
1: yeah well not least don't imagine going home covered in those little bowls of polystyrene every single day I'm sure. <laughs> um
2: no that wasn't weirdly that wasn't so much of a problem i think because i wasn't the way that i cut the polystyrene was with a wire cutter which meant i probably inhaled a lot of fumes but that meant that the, the, the surfaces were very smooth. But what actually ended up happening was as time went on and I was in I was in this little room for god knows I must have been about two months off and on, this set started to decay. So I think if you're if you if you watch the video carefully you can see like there are certain corners missing off certain blocks simply because the the polystyrene isn't designed to last, so yeah, it all started falling apart. <laughs> It kind of also helped me just to kind of like you know mark a line in the sand and go right, I can't do that shot anymore, it's literally broken, right? Uh, No polystyrene balls problems, right?
1: (laughs) So, rather unusually for a Blue Zoo film, it's not just been released online as a showcase piece, of course, it is a showcase piece, but it's done the festival run. How have you found that? it has been some fantastic successes there,
2: yeah. It's brilliant. Um, it's 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 um, we won. Um, a couple of awards at Anifest, a couple at Cardiff, a couple of the, the, the British Animation Awards, and it got a BAFTA nomination. And then it's sort of been featured in a, a, a few other festivals as well. Um, I, I, to be honest, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't kept track of it all because at one point we were putting the laurels on a JPEG to kind of show off. And then it got it got to the point where it now just looks like we're being silly. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away by the response. It's been amazing. And I think what I've, what I've learned what I've learned from the festival circuit is actually it can be quite, quite time-consuming sending off to festivals. <laughs> but I feel like it's really been worth it. It's it's amazing just to see the response and, ha- and be able to go along somewhere where uh, you can interact with people and talk to talk to these passionate people about your work and their work as well. And I've met some amazing people along the way, and I've seen some amazing work. Um, didn't unfortunately get into Annecy, but I went there. Actually, I met you there. <laughs> we had a lovely time. Um, uh, and again, it's it. I think one thing about festivals is, is just how amazing everyone is. Every it's 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 so rare that you get an opportunity to go along to a situation where you're surrounded by passionate people who are all working hard just to create things out of, purely out of passion. That you know that people aren't there because they they want to make money. They're doing it because they love what they do. And 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 everyone's so positive. It's yeah, it's been amazing. And and I'm just I'm a bit gutted now that <laughs> I haven't got anything else to now enter into more festivals. I feel like I need to go and make another short film just to get back on the festival. Safely.
1: Yeah, it's given you that. Uh, it's now you've got to feed the beast. You've really got yeah exactly to, uh, yeah. yeah
2: well, keep... I don't want to be a one hit wonder. I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's my next concern. Yeah.
1: Um, well speaking of speaking of like wonders i suppose that leads on to the bafta nomination as well that must have been quite a a highlight of the year
2: yeah it's amazing it was i i mean yeah it was i don't really know how to describe it it's, it's kind of like that it's like having a, a massive pat on the back just to say you did good <laughs> which we don't often get in life really to be honest but yeah it was a very a, a very strange evening i mean it's a very i've been to a few awards ceremonies and we've actually Blue Zoo um, quite often attends. Well, actually, always attends the children's BAFTAs, which you know everyone gets sits around a table drinking wine one evening and has a-, a jolly good laugh. Whereas the the the, the big boy BAFTAs <laughs> for the grown-ups was very very sober in comparison uh, and went on for a very long time. <laughs> But it was uh, yeah. So um, the the animation that won, which was poles apart, uh, very deservingly So um, I met the the makers of that, and the Will Anderson as well was there as well. He also had a film, uh, a short animation, and yeah, just made some really good friends and had a really nice time and saw a lot of celebs <laughs> knocking around in the background.
1: Um. So what's the what does the future hold for uh, for yourself, Ben?
2: Well, at the moment, I'm uh, I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of animation directing um like I said commercials for the productions department um I'm I've got uh, at least two short film ideas that I really want to start pitching around see who's interested um and basically just as long as I know I'm getting better at my job and my art then I'm happy and at the moment that's exactly what's happening I'm I've, I've had to create a a kind of a, an action sequence of, for the current advert I'm working on, which is unlike anything I've ever done before. Which involves lit- shots that are literally six frames long. You know, you, you look at someone's eyes, and then you. And I've I've never been forced to. I, I think one thing I one thing I think I see a lot in student work, and I certainly was the same, is that everything is very slow. <laughs> People like to dwell, and I, I think I, there were edits of Mamoon as well where things just went on for ages. You know, and I really had to sort. Of, learn to just cut things down I think I'm learning that as well so like I said as long as I'm being pushed and, and uh, constantly kind of bettering myself I'm happy and that's exactly what's happening but um yeah I, I also do have this kind of urge that I've got these ideas and I think I think they might be good and I and it, one of them's with a friend of mine Joe we've got this idea of taking this interview um and so sort of animating to dialogue of an interview which i think would be really interesting and we've we've already kind of worked up a few visual ideas uh, and like i said I, i'm really keen whenever i work on something to ensure especially with animation because that's is what animation is best for is that as the idea progresses it it progresses on a on a visual level as well as as a, a kind of on a on a on a story level at the same time And i think if you if you forge ahead with one and not the other then you just get into problems down the line
1: mm. well you've also been working on uh, with some writing uh on a vr project
2: oh yes uh, that's right yes um so i had a stint whereby i was just uh the contract that i had at blue zoo ended and at just at a time where i was getting involved with the vr project with a company called no ghost okay. who specialize in virtual reality projects and they had been working with a director uh, a um character designer called James Castillo who does a lot of work for the kind of the big movie studios and he had an idea that he wanted he was making with them so I got involved um developed the story with him um and then took on the role of animation director and basically I think it's, it's going to be on it's going to be premiering at I said the name earlier didn't I rain dance, rain right. dance film festival <laughs> and it's this amazing two and a half minute piece where you essentially are lifted up into a, a, a 360 degree stage set which then builds around you in this little story unfolds and yeah it was it was a really it's an amazing project it was amazing to be a part of very challenging because when you animate in virtual reality a character walking around especially a character who never ever leaves the shot in two and a half minutes you're dealing with not only one heck of a massive Maya file, but Also, you can't cheat anything. Like You you forget how much you cheat with a mid-shot or a cutaway or any of this kind of stuff. No, you see him all the time, and he's always walking around, and he's always moving. And I think that was certainly a a lesson I learned there. But we we did it. We pulled it off a few late nights on that one. But um, hopefully... I mean, certainly you can see the teaser. I I animated a little teaser of the character stepping off a tram, but... um, the hopefully, I, I presume they're going to make the actual experience available to anyone who's got a VR headset and I, yeah, I really advise people have a look That's uh,
1: Madrid Noir is that right? Madrid Noir,
2: yeah if you go to madridnoir.com I think you can find out a little bit more about it Fantastic
1: It sounds exciting, it sounds uh, great and it's a great time for VR at the moment people are trying, uh, uh, gradually working out exactly what you've just said there, is that it's more of a of a stage show that you're creating. There's no, the the traditional filmmaking uh, handbook, I suppose, goes out the window.
2: No, exactly. I think what's, I mean, I keep hearing, and I've yet to see anything yet, but I keep hearing, like, some big directors, um, who's the guy who did, I don't know if David. Lynch, no, no, maybe not, who's the guy who did um, all the Monty Python stuff and Brazil and...
1: Yeah, Terry Gilliam.
2: Thierry Gilliam, I've heard he's been working on a VR project. There have been a couple of other directors banded around. I'm I'm really intrigued to see what they come up with because, like you say, it feels like the early days of cinema. We're we're not quite sure what to do with this new medium. And one of the questions I asked with Madrid Noir really in one of our very early meetings is, like, why VR? I'm really keen to always... I think I learned it off my friend Phil. It's just constantly questioning. Why this? Why are we doing it this way? And um and we found, you know we definitely found the answers but I think I've, def- I've I've been I've I've experienced I've experienced all kinds of media where I, I think this happens a lot in animation I saw some amazing animation at Annecy for example I won't say where from but it felt very much like people were trying to make live action films but they were animating them and and to that I say well just make a live action film I don't know why you've chosen animation as, as a medium hmm. and I think that's this case with VR where people. People want to make a VR project, and <laughs> but they don't really know why. And, and I and I know the struggle because it's it's um it, it it's still it's still difficult to know what what to do with it really. And so I think what what we were trying to do with Madrid Noir is give people a stage experience like being in a theatre, but they they couldn't have any real theatre. So that's what our reasoning was, and I think that's what's been achieved. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching it very closely. And at the moment, the thing that's obviously a huge boundary with VR as well is just the price point and, and the accessibility. And it's it's slowly going to change. So we'll slowly see them enter households in the next sort of decade. But mm. it's going to be a slow creep. But I think it's a, yeah, it's, de- it's definitely something I'll be involved in.
1: Oh, Ben Steer, thank you very much uh, for talking to Squiggly today. Looking forward to seeing uh, Mamoon. Uh, as it's now released online and uh, and people want to catch up with the making of video as well. Uh, that'll be all over the Blue Zoo Facebook and Twitter and everything else, I suppose.
2: Definitely. Thank you
1: very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: That was Ben Steer from Blue Zoo. You can check out his work at bensteer.com and you can check out Blue Zoo stuff at blue-zoo.co.uk. Lots of other fantastic films there and uh, Idents and Stings and commercial stuff and... Uh, They're one of the good ones.
1: They are indeed.
0: Tremendous. So check out Mamoon. Should tide you over, I suppose, until the next episode of the Squiggly Podcast. Whenever that will be. Not before too long, I expect, because there's all sorts of stuff happening. We've got encounters coming up later in the month and various other bits and bobs.
1: Yeah, if you're listening to this around
0: September time,
1: uh, it's very close uh, to the 24th of September when Manchester Animation Festival announces its programme uh and uh who's going to be in competition and what guests we've come into the festival and all that kind of stuff so if you want to find out about that you can follow us on facebook follow us on twitter at Animation, and you can go to the website manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk and sign up to the newsletter to be first to know uh, all the goodies that are coming to manchester this year on the 13th 14th and 15th of november
0: exciting times Another festival news, don't forget you can book tickets now for the Encounters Festival here in Bristol. It runs from September 25th to the 30th. Lots of exciting film and animation events and screenings to check out, including Animation 2 Happy Sad on Wednesday the 27th at 2pm, and the comedy programme From the Sublime to the Ridiculous on the 28th at 8pm, both of which feature my new film Sunscapades. I'll also be part of the Filmmaker Q&A at 4pm on the 27th, and the open forum Short Film Today at noon on the 28th. It's all taking place at the Watershed, and you can visit encounters-festival.org.uk and watershed.co.uk for more info. Also, I'm very pleased to say that Sunscapades will be playing at the BFI London Film Festival in October as part of their Real Horror Show screening, that one's at 3.30pm on Sunday, October 14th at the Prince Charles Cinema, and then repeated at 6.15pm on Thursday, October 18th at the Rich Mix Cinema. Tickets for the screenings go on sale September 13th, so quite soon. Uh, please do check it out and swing by if so inclined. My previous film, Clemen is still out there at a few festivals this month, although the only one I have specifics for is another London event a bit more niche than usual. This will be screening as part of the official Twin Peaks UK Festival, as part of a screening of David Lynch-inspired short films. The event takes place September 29th and 30th at the London Irish Centre and Camden Square Gardens. If you're a David Lynch fan like myself, it looks like good fun. There's people there from the show and a whole bunch of other screenings and concerts and events, and there's more info for that one at TwinPeaksUKFest.com. That's all from us this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ben L. Mitchell. Steve is at Mr. S. Henderson. Squiggly is at Squiggly. And we're also on Instagram at Squiggly Animation and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. The website, as always, is Squiggly.co.uk. Don't be a stranger now, you hear? Until next time, happy (laughs) animating.